I was student since March and it has been four months since and I haven't got any shifts. They only give shifts to those chefs on JobKeeper as they need to minimize the spend. I understand it's a business decision. It's not personal, but uh, I think it makes me anxious and desperate. I'm Danny Vallant, and this is Dirty Linen, the podcast that takes the issues the hospitality industry finds hard to air in public and shakes them all about. On Dirty Linen, we're continuing to talk about temporary visa holders in hospitality. We're talking about them, we're talking to them, and today I'm really glad to be chatting to Michael Ng. I've met Michael uh, because he comes along to the Attica Soup Project every Thursday and he's often the first one there, so we get the chance to have a little bit of a chat about how the week's been. It's been really a privilege to get to know him uh, and to hear a bit about his story. Michael's from Hong Kong. Uh, he's brought over here as, as, as a skilled visa holder, as a chef. Um, and yeah, I re- I'm really thrilled to have him talk to us today on Dirty Linen. So Michael, we've just ended stage four in Melbourne. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling good. And um, thanks for having me here this morning, Danny. And I'm, I'm very happy to be invited here to share my story. And then I've seen you doing a lot to help the visa holders and I really appreciate your effort and, you know, the sort of projects, the updates and clarifications on the latest policies about the hospitality, you know, everything. Yeah, look, anything I can do, it's uh, it's my pleasure to try to help. But of course, I can't fix this situation. It's pretty big. So tell me a, a bit about yourself, um, what you were doing in Hong Kong, your family background and why you decided to come to Australia. And um, for me, I'm a chef coming from Hong Kong. And um, actually, before I started working as a chef, I was a piano teacher. And then I spent a Really? Bit- <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a piano teacher before. Like, I've been teaching for five years before turning, like, working as a chef. Yeah. So were you, did you start learning piano when you were a little kid and you just got really, really, really good at it? No, no. I started learning maybe at, like, primary school year four and then I learned for three years and then I get my diploma and then I start playing piano in orchestra and then I start teaching the kids yeah I've been teaching like since maybe like 15 I think yeah wow so how does a piano teacher decide to become a chef I think when I hate dealing with the parents because the parents always ask me like why I'm not teaching new songs to their kids and the fact is that like their kids are not practicing <laughs> the songs that I've given them and like instructed them so they are not practicing so I hate dealing this kind of conversation every week so and then I think about like um let's say I ask my friends around like what they're learning in the universities and I think some of them like regret and they don't think what they've learned in the university helped them to live better after graduations. And then I've made a decision like not to study in the university. And then I think like what kind of path I have, do I keep doing as a piano teacher or I should work as a chef or insurance agent. And then um, people around me say like I cook well and I actually got a like championship in a cooking contest before in the secondary school. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I feel like uh, 
accomplished. And then people around me are happy eating my good food. So I've decided to work as a chef. And so what sort of training did you have? Like, did you train in uh, Chinese cuisine or European cuisine or was it a mixture? I don't know. I, I was trained in uh, Paris in Le Cadon Bleu. Wow. Yeah, because when I yeah, because when I was working as a piano teacher, I saved a bit of money, and my brothers are very good at um, investment, so I gave him like all my money to invest, and then uh, I got enough money to study in France. Yeah, that's how I started. I see. So how long did you spend in France? Two years in France, and then um, after my graduations, I was training under a moth for like almost a year. And then um, he recommends me to work in a restaurant in UK, and then I spent two years there because of my, you know, visa like working holiday. And then uh, after that, I helped my friends to open a restaurant and a cafe in Taiwan, and then I'm here in Australia. Okay, so um, what brought you to Australia? So the reason why I came to Australia is that like. The kitchen I worked before, we sourced the ingredients from all over the world and um, we imported everything to create the dishes on the menu. And it's good not to have limitations when you create, but um, I think it's also important to create menus that pay attention to seasonality, I think. I know um, Australia has been like doing really well in agriculture and has a good variety and excellent quality of vegetables, meat and seafood. So I, and I have heard like Melbourne is one of the best cities for living. So I want to come here and like experience and try some good food. Yeah. And so when did you come here? I came here like um, two years ago with my working holiday visa. And then uh, I got my uh, skilled visa last year at July. Okay. It's so, you know, it's, it's such a crazy time we're in, you know, for you to say you heard Melbourne is such a great place to live and I would totally agree with you. But then it's just so bizarre that we are in such a strange situation now where the city's shut down, we've got a curfew. It's just I cannot get my head around how radically different Melbourne is from this time last year and how radically different all our lives are. Of course, when you came here, <laughs> you would never have anticipated that things could become so different and so difficult. So tell me what Melbourne was like when you got your sponsorship and, and tell me how things shook down when the pandemic snuck up on us. Like I think people here are quite passionate and enthusiastic. Sometimes I just go downstairs for a quick dinners and people around me will start talking to me. And um, when I was in Hong Kong, if you're crossing the road slowly, the people behind you will produce a sound like, you know, this sound like, <laughs> like to hurry you up as um, they're quite impatient if you're not walking fast. And uh, it's not the case here. I think I can walk slow, so I can walk fast and I won't upset anyone. And uh, if I'm crossing the road, I think the car usually stops in front of me so I can cross the road first if there's no traffic light. And uh, some people around me are so friendly and uh, I'm very happy to, to be here. And then I started here with my, you know, working on the visa. I think it's quite hard to look for sponsorship for a restaurant in Melbourne. And then um, 
but I've always been in, living in the big cities and uh, I'm not sure if I would enjoy the lifestyle living in regional areas. So I seek myself to the big cities and um, I don't want to take any risks when looking for my sponsorship as uh, I'll be with my employer for years and I've fairly limited time to look for a sponsor. As I'm on my working holiday visa, you know, I only got like my first year and then I will get only my second year if I work in the farm. So I think I have very limited time. So, yeah. So you were quite focused when you got here on transitioning from a working holiday visa to a sponsored visa so that you could stay here for longer? Yes, I only worked for two restaurants. I worked for one restaurant first and then I think it's not that suitable and then I look for another and then, uh, yeah, I, I made it like uh, I got my sponsorship, yeah, luckily. It's really interesting because um, we chatted to Mike Rapayich as well. He's a, an Australian sommelier. Uh, everyone can listen to that podcast too. He talks about some of the issues that he perceives around temporary visa holders and that people who come here on working holiday visas and are hoping to transition to a sponsored visa and perhaps a pathway to permanent residency, they don't. Uh, they're not able to choose their employers very carefully. They don't know their rights. They uh, take the first job that they get and perhaps sometimes their employer won't treat them very well. It sounds like you were very um, calculated and and pretty organised in the way that you were approaching it and uh, you know, looking out for your interests as, as you went through this, this uh, complicated visa process. Yeah, when I look for jobs, I send, I think, more than 50 applications every week like uh, I go through the seek you know all the websites and uh, I don't receive response like all the time but uh, I do talk to a lot of chefs and the restaurant owners and I had a lot of interviews just trying to figure out if we are suitable to each others I think I think it takes a bit of time but it's quite important as uh, you know uh, the Sponsored visa is like a commitment that lasts for years and uh, you don't want to quit and then you want to make sure and your life will be happy in the coming years, you know, because it takes at least like three years. You need to work for the restaurant for three years before you can apply for the permanent residency. So you need to make sure your time is happy there. And so how was, I know you don't want to talk about your restaurant specifically today, but if we can say it's a rest, it's like a big place, it's in the inner city, um, it's a, yeah, uh, feeds, feeds a lot of people, but at a, at a high quality. So what was your experience like uh, before you were stood down and during COVID? My restaurant has been like really busy and was doing better than last year's and the summer was driving me crazy. As I was in charge, like all the functions, and there were more than 20 functions every week. And then COVID came, and yeah. And then um, COVID came, and I was stood down since March. And it has been four months since, and I haven't got any shifts. The restaurant that I work had opened for a while before the second lockdown, but um, they only give shifts to those chefs on JobKeeper as they need to minimize the spend. And, I understand it's a business decision. It's not personal, but uh, I think it makes me anxious and desperate. And then um, I got food parcels from my restaurant a couple of times and also enough donations from the fundraising that they have organized. Uh, it's not enough to support all the way through, but uh, 
at least it makes me feel that I'm I'm engaged, and you know it feels like someone is there to to be with you, and actually I'm quite happy at the beginning of the lockdown as I've always like worked really hard before and I never used my annual leave, and then uh, you know if you are getting a new job, most employers want you to start as soon as possible, and then. Uh, I just never have the chance to use my annual leaves, so they are always like traded as money. And my coworkers told me like that maybe like my restaurant will be shut for three months, and I really couldn't believe that. I feel like oh, okay, it's it's time to relax. You know, I got three months, and then actually I'm locked in Melbourne. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't work. You know, it's something like really different at the end. So, as you say, you're a hard worker. How how did you fill your days? Did it was it mentally tough for you to not have uh, the structure of work? Uh, I think it's like mentally and financially because um, you know uh, you couldn't work and uh, you couldn't work for anyone else because you don't. Uh, maybe first thing like. Um, you're not sure if your restaurant is surviving because they don't update you all the time, and then um, you need to think if you want to stick to them because uh, there may be someone else that may be able to sponsor you, and but you cannot work for them until the nomination is approved. So they they need to decide if they wanna. Hire you after a trial or you know a, an interview, so I think it makes us a bit hard, like during the time. It's so hard. I mean, Michael, I, you know, I introduced you to somebody who was keen to try to sponsor you. You thought hard about that, and in the end, you decided to stick with your current employer even though they couldn't give you any work it's uh the the structure of the of the sponsored visa is so tough and I think for you to be facing these really difficult decisions weighing things up in in a period of such stress uh must have been incredibly difficult and draining for Mm. you I think um before making that decision I have talked to my general manager like a couple of times I give them calls and it looks like they are confident in getting me back after the pandemic but um you know no one can give any guarantees at the moment so i have decided to trust them you know with my skilled visa i can apply for permanent residency after working three years for them so i and then i will only be secured after I get my permanent residency. And uh, if I change my employer this time, it means I need to recalculate like or recount the three years. So you need to weigh out the balance. Like you trust your employers or you need to start in another restaurant for three years or maybe longer. And uh, so you need to really like think a lot and uh, there will never be like, the best actions or movement during the time. So I'm actually still struggling at the moment because, you know, with the stage four lockdowns and then uh, I'm about maybe to call my manager again <laughs> after the check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
It's so tough though, isn't it? Because as we all yeah. know, this is a situation that keeps changing. Nobody knows what's going to happen. And for you to be relying on someone who understandably can't give you any guaranteed timeline or outcome uh, is very stressful. Like people always ask me like, why I'm not getting any part-time job or find something casual to work on. It's just uh, with my skilled visa, I'm engaged with my employer and I'm not allowed to work for anyone else. And um, I've also think of like opening um, like home bakery or like takeaway for for the people around or for, for my building. And then uh, I find out that um, I need to apply for a license before doing that kind of thing. And so I don't have any measures or ways to financially support myself during the time. Yeah, it's really tough. Yeah, as a as a temporary visa holder, you you can't really start a business. You're not allowed to start a business. It's you're very much bonded to your employer. Mm. So when we heard about, I mean, I know that last week when the case numbers were rising, you were already feeling pretty nervous about yeah moving around the city and now we know that we're in a stage four lockdown. Tell me about this new stage and, and how that affects you. I think um, the Victoria is tackling with the COVID-19 a bit passively. Um, we wear masks a bit late and we lock down a bit late and if we put tighter measures right at the beginning, I think the pandemic could be like relieved earlier. And, you know, things will never be the ideals, but, and there's a lot more to consider. And it's just my opinion. And, you know, the measures, I think uh, the stage four lockdowns will put us, the visa holders, um, in a bit more like difficult situations. And, you know, I'm not allowed to work for anyone else apart from my employers. And um, with the lockdowns and the extension on JobKeeper, I think most of us won't be getting any shifts, so we depend on our savings. And further restrictions and lockdowns mean we'll be out of work for a much longer time. You know, there was stage four restrictions now, and there will be stage three, and there will be stage two. And I'm not sure like how long I'll be in this chaos. And not all the restaurants are in a good position to operate with only ten like when 10 people are allowed it in the venue. And I've been stood down since March. So at the end of the restriction, I'll be out of work for at least six months. I just can't imagine like how much stress and anxiety the measures will be like putting on those skilled visa holders because like we are very insecure. And if we lose the employers, basically like it means go home, like what's Scott Morrison said and then I think no one is ready not to be working for longer than six months uh, financially and mentally I think and if the government is not doing anything to keep the talents when the pandemic is over I think all the skilled migrants are gone and like no one will be there for the recovery of the economy. So why do you think that uh, skilled migrants are important to the hospitality industry? I think we are here to bring like skills and experience. And for me, as an example, like I've worked 
in different countries like France, UK, and Taiwan. Then I've worked in like French produced menus and Japanese fusion restaurant. I learned a lot of cooking techniques there and like how the chef utilize ingredients in those countries. And you know, I'm from Hong Kong and with my grandparents from Indonesia. So I grew up in an environment with like lots of spices and that local may not be familiar with. So I think everything with like in my life, especially like about the food, must be something like credible. And I think I'm making a contributions to the hospitality. And um, I think the government has done a lot to make sure like we are qualified and skilled and you know the skills assessment or the reference check and like paycheck and when I was applying for the visa I have given them like all my payrolls and reference letters it's my first job they are cross-checking the bank statements with my contract to see if I actually works there they are like cross-checking the pay and the bank statements and then I've worked in a lot of countries so there's a lot of police check happening and then all my documents need to be translated so I and then I pay a lot for the agents here with the application fee for the visa for the agents and then we pay tax just like everyone else here so I, I think we should be taken care when like things happen. It's amazing to hear you talk about all the due diligence that the Australian government did to make sure that you were a person that we needed. We needed your skills, we needed your experience, we needed you here to uh, improve the skills base and the the output of our hospitality industry. But then at the, when things get tough that it's like, well, yeah, we don't need you that much and just um, let you find your own path. Uh, it's, it seems quite contradictory to me and very, very unfair. I think like... Um Temporary visa holders are like really essential to hospitality because, you know, before the COVID-19, I think all the restaurants, they have all sorts of temporary visa holders, like from back of house to front of house, maybe their sponsors or there may be students. Like, I'm not sure if the local are interested in working in the hospitality, you know, the long working hours and the tension in the restaurant, like it's really intense, especially in the kitchen. And the salary, I think, is enough to, to feed myself or the family. But is working in hospitality financially rewarding? I think it's um, questionable. I think that's why a lot of people are not interested in working in hospitality. And I think it's the reason why we need the um, temporary visa holders. But that's, I mean, shouldn't temporary visa holders be paid more then? Is, it shouldn't just be that, well, Australians won't work for that amount of money, so you, you will, so that's how it needs to be. Wouldn't it be better if everybody was paid better? Well, it's, of course it's uh, better if everyone is paid better, but, you know, it's about, like, uh, supply and demand. If there is, there's not enough local here, but there are a lot of, like, temporary visa holders, like, looking for jobs in hospitality, hospitality so and then a lot of people think uh, working in hospitality is not a professional job I think it's like a misunderstanding so 
to work in hospitality, it requires a lot of training and a lot of like, like details, like paying attention to details. I think people underestimate the qualifications and experience that needs to work in hospitality. So I think it should be paid better. I think if uh, you know Australia wants to continue to pride itself on its restaurant industry and Melbourne in particular to pride itself on being a hospitality capital, then we do need to um, to uh, appreciate the skills and the personal qualities, the hard work that it takes to get meals of a high quality on the table. Um, Michael, would you say it's easier? To work in hospitality than to deal with the parents of your piano students. Uh, no, I I would say because I'm a chef, and then I think working in the kitchen is better than dealing with those parents, like <laughs> always like talking to me every week. And you know, working in the kitchen, I just need to, I need to communicate with the team, and uh, I've been in charge of the kitchen for some time. I think I'm better. Giving demands, or not not demands, like commands, then、uh, communicating to those parents. Like I think sometimes they're a bit nonsense, repeating <laughs> the the same、uh, question every week when、uh, they show me the facts that the kids are not practicing.、Um, cooking food seems、uh, more straightforward to me. I just need to like you know, for example, I'm cooking a steak. I just need to see them, giving them nice color. I cook them until like a certain, I say, uh, central temperature, and then I get a good steak already. And then it's something very straightforward. And then when I talk to parents, like I don't know like what they're thinking. Your kids are not practicing, and you you're asking me to teach them like new songs. It's for me, it's nonsense, and、uh, and it's still repeating. And they are like your boss because they are paying you to teach the kids. So there's there's no communication between. It's just、uh, they keep asking you to like yeah you know. They're always they're very demanding. I would say. Right. So Michael, you're from Hong Kong. Your family's there, and. So much has happened in Hong Kong while you've been in Australia.、Mm. The whole notion of Going back to Hong Kong is is quite fraught. Tell me about the situation in Hong Kong. What it's like for your family, and what that might mean for your visa status.、Uh, I actually like、uh, think of temporarily going back to Hong Kong as my parents are in Hong Kong. Like they are old, and I want to spend more time with them as well.、Like、I can find a job easily in Hong Kong, as you know, I'm from Hong Kong, and My friends there opening new restaurants, and I can always be helpful. And if I'm back, I can feed my parents, and I can send money to my partners here for rent and grocery without any problems. But the thing is that, like being a temporary visa holder here, I'm not allowed to enter Australia once I have left. At the moment, you know, our borders are closed, and then、uh, I won't be able to get back to my job in Australia on time once the Restrictions are lifted, and then I will lose my job and my visa here. So, leaving Australia now means like going home forever. Ah,、uh, I never think of like leaving Australia, 
or like going back to Hong Kong forever because I spend a lot of time outside Hong Kong and I'm loving it. I love the space here and uh, I really could not tolerate the humidity and population density in Hong Kong. Uh, back in Hong Kong, I live in a 30 year old, like 30 meters square apartment with six people, three bunk beds in three bedrooms, and uh, also a piano in the living room. So you can imagine like how much space I get there. So I don't really want to go back. And also the economy there seems to stop growing now. And uh, I'm not sure if I can still enjoy the freedom of speech there in the future. So, and I'm very happy like working from a restaurant and my life here now. And, uh, you know, going home is like more than two words for a lot of people. My partner Joyce is from Taiwan and uh, if I lose my visa and go home, it means like we get married now or like bye-bye. You know? And then um, as long as the restaurant is getting me back, I don't see any reasons to leave Australia. And uh, I have thoughts about like going to UK as a, as a B&O visa holder as there's a new immigration route for us. But uh, like staying in uh, Australia is my priority. You know, a lot of things are happening in Hong Kong now, like the introduction of the national security law, the COVID-19, and then I just mentioned to you about the immigration routes for Hong Kong BNO passport holders, and they're also banning those uh, pro-democracy members from legislative elections. And, you know, there's a lot more happening in Hong Kong at the moment. So uh, I'm not ready to go back like forever to Hong Kong. There has been talk in Australia of a, a special visa, a safe haven visa for Hong Kong residents that is a pathway to permanent residency here. There haven't really been any details released about how that might work, who it might apply to, how easy it would be to get. But do you feel like that might be another avenue for you to stay in Australia? Um, that might That might be a way to stray, stay in Australia. They, what like the government has said is like uh, the people from Hong Kong, we are eligible for a pathway to the permanent residency at the end of that five year. But uh, you know, there's no details about the pathway yet. But um, with my skilled visa, I'm actually eligible to apply for the permanent residency after working three years for my, re- for my restaurant. And then extending my visa for five years may mean delaying my pathway to permanent residency because, you know, the restaurant thing, uh, you still got five years left. So so before I can apply after two years, now I need to wait for another five years. And then um, if I was terminated during the pandemic and then I couldn't find any sponsor, I would not be able to stay here even with the extension like with on my visa. You know, I'm with my employer and then, so if I lose my employers, I lose my visa. I'm not saying like uh, it's not good, but I just don't understand. And then uh, still I'm, I'm happy like the, tr- the government is trying to do something to help the citizens from Hong Kong, you know, to stay in Australia for longer. Yeah. There's so much uncertainty. It's just I just really feel for you at every level. Uh, your 
yeah, your home country is in a really tricky place. Uh, Australia is in a really tricky place, Melbourne in particular, and the status of your visa yeah, adds, adds a layer of complication, even when it's supposed to be a visa that I guess has more security and a pathway to permanent residency in, in normal times. Um, Michael, what uh, if I was, when we're allowed to visit each other again and, and you invited me over for dinner, what would you make for me? I think it would be like a steamed fish in a soy sauce. Uh, I don't really see swimming fish here in Australia. If uh, you're home, like you're invited and you're in my home for dinner and that's the only dish that like the best dish I want to show you, I think it will be the steamed fish in the soy sauce. And then the first thing I'll do, um, I think it'll be like after the lockdown, I will go to like a, a pier or and then uh, I'll start fishing because uh, during the lockdown, I like before the lockdown, I go fishing all the time and then I'll get you something fresh. Yeah, I'll keep them alive and I'll only steam it for you when they are still alive, you know. Like st steaming fish is all about like the freshness and then you want to use like really simple ingredients like spring onion, ginger, soy sauce, a really, really fresh swimming fish. And then, yeah, that's, that's it for you. Wow. Well, thank you for planning to honour me with um, such a beautiful, fresh seafood dish. Um, I really hope that time is not too far away. Michael, thank you so much for chatting to me on Dirty Linen today. Uh, I wish you all the very best of luck, fortune, strength, fortitude, um, and, yeah, good people around you getting through this difficult time. But thank you so much for sharing your story. I think um, we are all in the pandemic together and um, the rivers do not check us like the visa before it attacks us. You know, the skilled visa holders are not eligible for the government support and Medicare. So we are actually a very vulnerable part in the community during the pandemic. And then I'm not sure if the private health insurance will cover all the expenses if I'm in the hospital because of the coronavirus. So I think... The visa holders, they all depend on the saving and they must be broke after leaving here with their work for months. I think it would be great if uh, the people around can show more compassion and support to the visa holders. And then um, hopefully we'll still be together after the pandemic. I hope so too. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.